If someone were to ask you, who are you? And you give that person your business card. And they say to you, oh, your business card, that's what you do. That's not who you are. What would you say? What would be your response? I've tried this many times. And the response often is, what should I tell you? What I do has become who I am. Isn't that sad? Who you are should define what you do, not the other way around. But that's what happens in life. The work we do, our accomplishments, our achievements, and many of them may be good, define who we are. Please join me in this very important discussion. The soul of Labor Day. What are we celebrating? What is Labor Day? And what is labor? And what role does it play in our lives? Technically, it was established in 1884 to honor and celebrate the social and economic achievements of the American worker. But what is work? What is labor? How does it reflect on our souls? How does it reflect on who you are? Please join me in this discussion that can be quite life-changing. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about the soul of Labor Day. What are we celebrating? This program is dedicated to Mazel Tov to Talal Yitzchok Ben Yamit Afri and Batya Batsara Zarka on your upcoming wedding. Blessings for many years of joy. Labor Day. We're coming from Labor Day, which always marks the end of our vacation, the end of the summer, the formal beginning of the new work year, so to speak, school year. What exactly is Labor Day? So technically speaking, it was established formally as a federal holiday in 1884 to celebrate the social and economic achievements of the American worker. Okay. So it became one of these holidays. But everything always has deeper meaning. We all need to work in order to make a living, to pay our bills. Some of us, work becomes the center of our lives, our careers, our professions. For many, it has replaced actually even our homes and our families. So if someone asks you the question, who are you? Very often, the response will be, you'll give them your business card. But if I say to you, your business card, that's what you do, not who you are. Some people will remain quiet and others will say, "Uh, what can I tell you? What I do has become who I am. You do something long enough, that becomes your identity. Isn't that sad when you think about it? Who you are should define what you do, not what you do defines who you are. 
It's like the ship doesn't tell the captain where to go. The captain should be telling the ship where to go. If you're using a hammer to knock on a nail, the hammer doesn't tell your hand how to use the hammer. Your hand tells the hammer what to do. If you want to put it in more spiritual terms, who's running the show? Is your body telling your soul what to do? Or is your soul telling your body what to do? And the same thing with our work and our careers and our professions. We live in a world, in a material world, where often the means becomes the end. Work and labor, at best, is a means. It may be very noble work. You may be saving lives, helping people, producing products, services that transform this planet and transform people's lives. But it's still what you do. And for many people, we all know, surveys show that most people don't even like their work. Some learn to like it. Many still don't like it. And they're the few, the minority, that will tell you it's a, it's a labor of love. I love my work. But that's a minority. I think it's important to step back. Before we address work and career and profession, let's go back Often to understand something well, you need to go back to its roots. Not often, always, frankly. Labor. Today, labor work is seen as a virtue. If you're not working, you're not a productive person. If you're not a career man or woman, you're not a professional. But it wasn't always the way, the case. If you go back, you go back to the times of the, the Romans and the Greeks, you read some Greek philosophy, Aristotle, Plato. Work was actually menial for the inferior people, for the workers. The aspiration was to be involved in thoughts and ideas and philosophies and morals and values. As a matter of fact, in ancient Greek, the word for labor or work was ponos. came from the Latin ponia, which means sorrow. Sorrow. That means work was connected with sorrow. Now that's not their own orig original idea. It came from the Bible. Work labor was conceived as a curse, as a punishment. After Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, God says to the human being, to the man, that from now on, from the sweat of your brow, shall you Reap bread. You shall eat bread from the sweat of your brow. You'll now have to work the fields. Labor. Hard labor. So it's interesting. It's interesting what we consider today such a great virtue was once considered a curse. Was considered something for the, for the people who are the second class citizens. That's how they saw people then. It took time. It was around the 16th century, during the Protestant Reformation, where things started to change. Max Weber, the, the, the great philosopher, social philosopher, credits Calvin, John Calvin, with the one that introduced the concept of the Protestant work ethic. Where work started being redeemed, that to redeem and correct that sin, the original sin, we need to work ethically, be very diligent work, until it ultimately evolved in what we consider today 
a profession, a career. So how are we supposed to look at this? There's actually a commonly known difference between Europeans and Americans. Europeans like to say that they work to live and Americans live to work. And it's already been documented, even though we don't want to overgeneralize. But you can say, what is the real purpose of a person's life? So many Europeans will say, it's to socialize, it's to build community, it's to connect with each other. And many Americans will say it's to acquire comforts. I'm not going to say this is really American-European, but is it true that Europeans, so far, so, so to speak, have a higher quality life? Because there's something far deeper that we have to look at. And that is the very nature, as I said, of labor, of work. So which one is it? Is it a curse? Is it a, a necessary evil? Is it surrendering to just the realities that we need to make a living? Or does it have anything redeeming in it? And above all, how does it reflect on who we are as human beings? Because even if you were to say, according to Calvin, which has become today pretty common, that work is an essential part of us being productive, working the earth, working the land, transforming it. And even after the Industrial Revolution and the world of technology, even if work sometimes is not, is white-collar work, not necessarily blue-collar, but it's still a form of work, is there something deeper and more transcendent in it? Or is it simply saying, okay, since there was a sin and there was a curse, sweat of your brow, work, let's at least use that and make it the best we can. Well, there's a new approach, a third approach. I call it a new approach because it's something that many of us have not heard before. And that is going back to the very essence of why we are here. So there's an interesting Talmud that I'd like to share with you. There's a verse in the Bible that says, a person was created to work. A person was created to toil. And one of the sages says, what does toil mean? So first I thought, he says, it means the work of actual labor. Manual labor. But then I thought about it and I said, no, it may be the work of speech, of communication. It's also called a form of effort. And then I thought about it, no, it's the work and the effort, the labor of Torah, of study of transcendent cognitive processing. So we have three categories. But they teach us something extremely critical. How do we look at ourselves as human beings? I mentioned before who you are and what you do. Are we indeed compartmentalized into those two categories? The things we need to do in this material world to survive. We need to eat, to drink, to sleep exercise, work, and then the things we need for our, let's call it our spirit, our soul, our more transcendent needs, which include everything. It includes romance, intimacy, sexuality, love. It could include art, music, dance, travel, literature. 
It could include religion, spirituality, faith. What distinguishes it from the material activities that it's not about survival, it's about transcendence, something beyond. Now, we clearly need both. A human being will never be happy just with animal bliss and satisfying their material needs because we do have something inside of us that needs companionship, love, deeper, more sublime activities, transcendent activities. On the other hand, we also need to survive in this world. So what most of us do is compartmentalize. Two different realities to the point that there are actually philosophies that say, hey, you cannot reconcile and you cannot reintegrate these two. Because matter contradicts spirit. You want to live a spiritual life, you need to be a monastic life. You need to move to a mountain. Get away from civilization. Get away from the hoo-ha, the rush hour of the Wall Street. All the competition and the corruption that it inevitably brings. And live a quiet, simple life. An austere life, as many have chosen to live. Very peaceful, quiet. But in the material world, it's a land that consumes its inhabitants, using another biblical phrase. At the end of the day, you'll sell your soul. Some more than others, but you can't balance the two. Others say, hey, it's a necessary evil. Yes, there is a concept of original sin. And let's make the best we can. Let's live our lives in this material world and try to be ethical and kind. But yes, you are dealing with an enemy, an adversity. Because material life and spiritual life are not compatible. So the really difference between the two is whether you separate yourself or you engage and do the best you can. There are, of course, others that say, hey, just surrender. That's life. Spirituality. It's a nice dream, a nice vision. It's a nice idealism. If you're interested in indulging from time to time, take a weekend off, find moments. But this is a material world and stop with the spiritual dreams. At the end of the day, dog eats dog, survival of the fittest. Is there another way of looking at things? And this is the soul of Labor Day. Yes, there is another way. And here's what the, the great Jewish mystics and Hasidic masters teach us. That matter and spirit are not a contradiction because there's a third dimension that's neither of the two. See, all of us usually think in terms of duality. You have a body, you have a soul. You have something physical and you have the spirit within. Or sometimes using words of physics, matter and energy. So it's two forces or two voices within us. One is the selfish voice, the one I, me, 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 the taker, and one is the giver, the selfless voice. But two voices. In truth, however, there's another dimension that's neither soul nor body, neither matter nor spirit. And that level says that even in the world of the material, you can find the spiritual. And even in the spiritual, you can find the material. And using Kabbalistic terminology, there's the concept of Ur and Kali, energy and container. Now, even in physics, we know today from Einstein's most famous equation, E equals mc squared, that energy and matter are reversible. They're actually the same thing in two different forms. When you take a piece of wood and you burn it, and it turns into heat, you've taken matter and turned it into energy. When you heat water, 
Water is a liquid. Water can be frozen, then it's a solid. When you heat it, it becomes a gas. And you can reverse the process many times over, and, and you can't really destroy anything. Take it a step further. This concept is that matter and spirit are not incompatible. They're just two forms of a higher reality. There is a fundamental and inherent tension in the dichotomy. And that's why you see material needs sometimes conflict with spiritual ones. But that's as long as you don't dig deep. If you dig deeper, you can find their commonality. And what is that? And how do you do that? By spiritualizing the material. So then work is not just a necessary evil or something to avoid a curse. It's actually a process where we enter the material world and we transform it into becoming fuel for spiritual growth. That your labor and your work as an end in itself becomes something that is self-contained in the, spirit, in the material world. But if you use it both the money you make by being charitable and kind, the people you meet by introducing some warmth and beauty in your workplace, the very work you do to realize it's not just work, but the work can teach you things about others, about life, about God, about deeper truths. Then the labor itself, you're releasing, as the mystics put it, the divine spiritual sparks that are trapped within it, trapped. So everybody's right. Labor was, work was a curse and is a curse if you see it as an end in itself. And that's why the ancient Greeks and the earlier, in the, both the medieval and, and the ancient times, they saw work as something that you want to avoid. That's not the, the superior human being. is someone that's looking for cerebral, spiritual ideals and values. Those that felt that work could be redeemed, but in a way like in a sense a compromise or surrender, that's a limited form of it. So we have to realize it may be a curse if it's an end in itself, but if you use it for the right things, then work becomes a way of spiritualizing this very world. And that's what we need to think about as we enter the new season, if you wish. I don't know what the intentions were of the first those that established Labor Day, but we have to look at it as the soul of Labor Day, the soul of labor. The soul of labor is, by all means, work. But don't ever think it's an end in itself. It's a means, it's fuel. It's an instrument. What you do is a way of expressing who you are. And who you are should define what you do. This doesn't mean you have to change your job. It means in whatever you're doing, you can find ways to spiritualize it. Everything is a lesson in life. I remember reading from my teacher, a beautiful letter he wrote to a person who owned the dry cleaners. He said, what lesson can you learn from a dry cleaner? It seems like menial labor. You're cleaning clothing. And yet this is what he says. What is the concept of cleaning clothing, dry cleaners? You wear a garment, a new garment, beautiful, you wear it once, you wear it twice. After a while, it gets soiled, it gets creased, gets stained, and you can't wear it anymore. At some point, you have to throw it out. So, no, someone invented the concept of cleaning. 
dry cleaning or other types of cleaning. You bring the garment, what they do is they immerse it in water. They wash it. But not just plain water, warm water. Then you take and you mix chemicals that remove different stains and deeper, deeper uh, problems within the garments and so on. And you remove it and you put it under a very heavy press. A very heavy press, pressure. You steam it, you dry it, you, you uh, iron it, you dry it, and there you have it. Like a fresh new garment. And you can re- reverse, we can repeat this process many times. What's the lesson in life? All of us are born with a pure soul. Pure, like a newborn child, like a freshly fallen snow. But then life takes over. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, the toxins. What we breathe in, what we ingest, what we eat. And of course the attitudes around us begin to crease. We begin to absorb sweat. Stains that stain our minds, our hearts, our emotions. So as we grow older, we're no longer that pure garment. So you would think, okay, you know, damaged goods. What can you do? No. You immerse it in water. And what is water? Water is spiritual wisdom. It cleanses. It allows your mind and your heart to expand their horizons, to see a higher reality. And that cleanses you. But not just plain water, warm water. Warmth. Empathy. Emotion. Not cold aloofness. Not just theoretical abstract ideas. With a warmth. With a person I care. Like people say, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Then you mix chemicals. Chemicals are different positive activities we do. Different mitzvahs. Charity, kindness, generosity, gratitude. Each chemical cleanses other toxins that we may have picked up in our lives. And then you put it under a heavy press. Accountability. You're not here just to serve yourself. You're answered to something greater than you are. And you feel that pressure. Good pressure. Like anyone that excels, it's always due to something being pressured, squeezed. In the expression, one of the expressions is, an olive doesn't produce oil until you press it. We're all like a tea bag. You don't know how strong you are until you put into hot water. Pressure brings out the best within us. Pressure creates diamonds, gems. And then you have the garment is clean and fresh as new. And you can, revert, you can repeat this process many times in your life. A simple dry cleaners, a simple cleaning system. Once I read that, every time I saw cleaners, I never looked at a cleaners the same way. And the same thing with anything. Walking in your neighborhood, look around the, the stores in the, on the street. There are bakeries and groceries and restaurants. Different services, cleaners and others. All of it seems mundane. It's all labor. And it's all maybe necessary. People, they do services. They provide products for people. But everything has a deeper meaning in it. That's called spiritualizing the material. Taking your very labor, your work, your profession, and turning that into a channel of spirituality. That's the soul of Labor Day. And that's how we relieve the tension. And then we ultimately eliminate dichotomies, conflicts, 
Because there aren't two realities, there aren't two worlds, they're all part of one reality. A higher unity. That yes, manifests itself in spirit, but also in matter. So when you think of it that way, labor was a curse because it became an end in itself. It comes a profession. Oh my, not my home and not my wife and not my spouse and not my family, but my career is the most important thing, the center of life. That's a total distortion. It began first as a necessity because you have to work. Before that, it was considered, as a matter of fact, something that was only for the lower class. Before that, it was considered a curse. Well, we need to understand that after all of that, we can redeem it, and we redeem it by spiritualizing it. So as we go back into the work year, each person in their own way, you may not even like what you do, but you can find spiritual opportunities there. And you will learn to like that. Not force yourself. Because you realize the work is just a stepping stone. You're not defined by it. You should define it. You should see it as an opportunity. As a pedestal, as a, as a uh, springboard that can propel you and all the people you know to the greatest heights. I remember years ago, after I wrote Toward a Meaningful Life when it was first published. So one of the people I met who loved the book, was an executive, a very prominent executive in New York City. And he told me he loved the book to the point that he follows one of its guidelines. He read the chapter on work and productivity. He was an executive in a big firm, big company. It said that even in your workplace, you can also bring spirit. And one example is simple. Put a little charity box on your desk. And he did that. He says, it changed my life. It changed my whole work. Because I meet people all the time. I'm known as a tough negotiator. I consider myself ethical, but I'm still tough. A shark, as they call it. And suddenly there's this charity box. And people come to a meeting. And I put a coin in there. And I ask them to put a coin. They say, what's that? You know, usually you reserve that for your synagogue. For your house of worship. For your home. No, he brought it there. Says, so began conversations about it. Oh, you give charity. It wasn't the amount, it was the idea. In your workplace, because the work is not just an end in itself. Since to the point I started, not only that, I started buying many of your books. I had a case of books on my desk, under my desk, and I would give it to everybody who I met with. So not only did it not undermine, it enhanced our relationships, our business relationships, because we started seeing each other as human beings. We're not just two sharks or two wolves on Wall Street looking to uh, devour each other or to give and take, but as long as you give me what I want. It wasn't just that attitude. We suddenly realized, oh, you have a family. You have charitable activities. You're a person with a soul, with a heart. So it wasn't about let's all go now to the synagogue, let's go to pray or study or something for the weekend. In the workplace, right there, in the heart of our labor, in the heart of our work, discover the divine. And indeed, that's where you discover the highest levels of the divine. In the palm of your hand, right before you. You don't need to travel to mountains. You don't need to escape. It's right near where you are. Where does heaven meet earth? At your doorstep. Any moment of your day, you have the capacity to free the spiritual energy within matter. Just like there's subatomic particles in everything and extremely powerful nuclear energy, 
There's also extremely powerful spiritual energy. The soul of Labor Day. That's what we should be celebrating. And it's very fitting that it comes this time of the year as we prepare for the Hebrew New Year. The birth and the rebirth of the human race. To ask ourselves, what is the mission of the human being? Why were we put here? We were put to serve and protect, to use our work to transform the material world into a divine home, to transform our material lives into a transcendent environment. May you be blessed and all yours be blessed to do exactly that. Find your calling, your mission in the things you do in your life, the things that you excel in, but discover the soul within it and share it with others. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com. Please, I'd love to hear from you. Thoughts, comments, questions, suggestions. And especially if you enjoyed what you heard, you think it's valuable, please share it. Pass it. Pay it forward, as they say. Pass it on. Share it with others. And I look forward to see you again soon. Check us out at MeaningfulLife.com calendar of many different programs, services, publications, essays, articles, text, audio, video, you name it. And please partake and stay in touch. Be blessed and be well. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.